She's the weight of a packet of number two pencils. Like, how is that even possible? Hello, and welcome to Ten Cent Takes, the podcast where we copy your idea, but do it better, one issue at a time. My name is Jessica Frazier, and I'm joined by my co-host, the secret seahorse, Mike Thompson. I really wish I could do horsey <laughs> sounds right now. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't you? <laughs> I need to engage in more pony play, I guess. Well, you do have fun comic factoids, so you've got that in your yeah. your court. So. Yeah, fair. <laughs> well, the purpose of this podcast is to study comic books in ways that are both fun and informative. We want to look at their coolest, weirdest, and silliest moments, as well as examine how they're woven into the larger fabric of pop culture and history. If you're enjoying the show so far and want to help us grow, it'd be a huge help if you'd rate and or review us on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, and Good Pods, because that really helps with discoverability. Friendly reminder, we've pulled our content off of Spotify, given how the platform is continuing to actively promote voices spreading vaccine disinformation. We've also recently started featuring promos from other podcasts out there that we feel you should be listening to. We've built up a great support community with a number of other shows and want to help them grow just like they've helped us. So please enjoy these promos, then check them out if they sound fun to you. Hey, you there. Do you like podcasts? Are you tired of the bullshit? Well, this is not the podcast for you. Actually, it is. And we are the Lords of Swine. We discuss nerd culture and we drop every Tuesday on any platform. We're literally everywhere. Hey, this is Chris. And Lance. Asking you to check out our podcast, Comic Book Keepers. Each episode features one hero, villain, team, or series. Learn history behind a wide variety of comic book characters and creators. Get recommendations on what storylines to read. Uncover how characters were created. Highlight adaptations in media and answer comic fandom's what-if questions. You can find us on all major streaming platforms or on most social media at CBKCast. And remember, keep your friends close, but your comic books closer. In this episode, we'll be plunging back into the depths of aquatic superheroes, this time sliding universes into DC for part two of our Submariner vs. Aquaman Compare and Contrast. So yes, there is a part one to this, my friends. So if you haven't already, we highly recommend you check out that first part, which was episode 29 about Marvel's Namor, the Submariner, so you know what we're comparing and contrasting against. That's right, folks. We're going to be taking a look at Aquaman for this episode. His Atlantis, his origins, his media popularity, and the ultimate question, how similar was he to Namor, the Submariner? But before we float too far in that direction, Mike, what have you been reading or watching lately? Yeah, so Sarah and I wound up binging the new season of Upload on Amazon the last 24 hours. Ooh. Yeah, have you watched this? I haven't yet, no. How was it? It's this really fun show that takes place in this near future where people can be uploaded into digital afterlives when they're on death's door. And it's like set into this dystopian corporate reality that feels just a little bit too real, to be honest. But, you know, the show starts off, it's like very sweet and very funny as it focuses on this new upload named Nathan and then his living customer service rep in the afterlife, Nora. And as it goes on, that vibe is still there, but it gradually has like conspiracies and adventure elements mixed into the show stars, Robbie Amell, who is... Stephen Amell, a.k.a. Green Arrow's cousin, I think. And then Andy Allo, who's a, a singer and model as Nora. And the nice thing about the first season is that it takes its time introducing you to the world while the second season kind of hits the ground running. And then it keeps up the pace till the end. 
it's also a little weird to see a corporate dystopian comedy streaming on Amazon because, you know, we all know that they're competing with Disney and Facebook to see who can be the worst corporate overlord these days, but it is what it is. I know. Interesting take, right? (laughs) But yeah, it was, uh, it was a blast and we really enjoyed it. Nice. I'll have to watch that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's a solid way to spend a weekend, but, uh, how about you? What are you checking out? Well, I have been rereading my copy of our friend Maya Kababe's Gender Queer. Oh, it's so good. The book's getting a, I think, like a deluxe edition reprint soon. Ooh, or, that'll or be it's cool. a hardback reprint. I can't remember, but yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, I have the I have the paperback, of course, because I, I mean it's just in paperback at this point. Yeah, my understanding. And it's been it's gone into print, I think, several times. Like they've oh, had to nice. they've had to do numerous printings on it several times. Oh. So it's been really successful. And yeah, I mean, the book is great. The book is the reason that that you and I met. (laughs) Like, yeah, like, thank you, Maya. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. That that one faithful Harry Potter (laughs) trivia, which I'm sure we'll elaborate on later. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I've I've been rereading that. And a lot of the reason I'm rereading it is indirect correlation to everything that I've been reading about all of the anti-trans stuff that's happening in all of the different states. There's, you know, Florida, don't say gay bill. Mm. Uh, There's a new one in, what is it? Idaho or Iowa? Oh, I didn't hear about that one. There's, there's one of the I states, you know, and I hate to talk bad about whichever one it isn't, but yeah, so there, there are just all of these different states that are starting to at least introduce these bills and it's just disgusting. It's like, you know, mind your own fucking business, everyone, let people be who they're going to be. I just, I, to this day, I do not understand why it's so difficult for people to understand the concept of live and let live. Yeah. You know, we talked about this back with with DG Chichester back in our Halloween episode where so much of people who get in power and then stay in power is to demonize the other. And you know, we were we were talking about um you know, queer horror themes and all that and how a lot of times you know, the villain in horror movies was queer in the earlier days of the genre. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, Maya's book is just really good and really thoughtful and and it's making all the right people mad. Like, you know, if you want to prove yourself on the wrong side of history, get mad about that book. Oh, I was so proud to hear that it hit the uh, <laughs> hit the banned books list. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's my friend. <laughs> well, you know, what's funny is so. For those who don't know, Maya is this amazing author illustrator who wrote a book, Genderqueer, and then A and I collaborated on the only published comic that i've ever written and i think that just launched a couple of months ago it's on display at like the university of vienna's medical school as part of an exhibit and so they just reached out to us with copies of the pamphlets for that that was really cool so cool yeah and it was a, a little short historical biography about james barry who um basically james barry was this doctor in in the British military who presented as male. And then after he died, it was discovered that he was assigned female at birth. Mm. So yeah, that's, that's what I've been rereading recently, mostly because I, it's, it's all the feels. And I, um, the other thing is I'm very proud of the youth of today and yeah, they are, they are strong, they're resilient, they're using technology in a way that benefits them and, and gets information out to each other. And, you know, they're so open and supportive. And it, it's just, it's cool to see them fighting for what they believe in. I just wish they didn't have to. Yeah, I, I think a lot of us feel the same way. Yeah, so, yeah. But that's, that's me. That's what I've been reading or watching. <laughs> mm. Well, let's move on to our let's let's swim on to our main topic. <laughs> so, this is part 2 of a compare and contrast that we are doing between Namor, the Submariner from Marvel, and DC's Aquaman, 
And I found two runs of comics, a run of each of these, when I was in Salem, Massachusetts recently. And I started looking into them and their histories piqued my interest. And I just, I had to compare them both. And so that is what we are doing this episode. This is part number two. We are covering Aquaman. Yep. Namor was a thing. (laughs) (laughs) He was a thing. We'll have opinions on who was better, who was cooler. (laughs) Okay. If you heard the last episode, I bet you already know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, probably. We are going to be looking at Aquaman's Atlantis, his origin story, his time in comics, and his appearance outside of comic books. But let's start off by saying that Aquaman was much easier, not to mention more interesting to research. Although there is a lot more information because the DC universe is a fucked up world. (laughs) There are so many different fucking iterations of everything. It's almost like they reboot their timelines every five years. Constantly. Constantly. So I did talk about different iterations of Aquaman throughout the years. So you're welcome. (laughs) But as always, here are my sources at the top. The DC Wiki fandom pages on Aquaman, Atlantis, Aquaman Origins, and Aquaman Villains. And those are four separate pages. Britannica.com article on Aquaman, an, an article on Screen Rant titled Aquaman Beat Namor in the Funniest Way Possible by John Peterson, and an article from CBR.com titled How Aquaman's Final Issue Showed Up at Two Different Comic Companies by Brian Cronin. So, first things first, let's get the who came first question out of the way. The original Aquaman made his first appearance in a comic anthology series called more fun comics in 1941, which is a full three years after Namor the Submariner was first published. So technically speaking, Namor is the OG underwater superhero. Hmm. That being said, we will get into whether originality equals longevity in this situation, as it were. Yeah, yeah. I can think of a lot of examples where first doesn't mean best. Yeah, well, this just may be one of them. (laughs) So this brings us to DC's Atlantis. And holy halibut, are there a lot of iterations and varying histories of this underwater nation. I'm going to briefly, briefly go through each of them. But I'm focusing our attention on the modern version as we Mm -hmm. read comics from that time period. This is broken down pre and post Crisis on Infinite Earths, which... We haven't really talked about on this podcast. It's a huge mess, but it fucked up a ton of shit. And it was one of the reboots for the DC characters and timelines. And Aquaman is no exception to this. Yeah, it was basically a big like industry event series in the 80s. And it was designed to effectively streamline the really convoluted history that DC had found itself saddled with by kind of merging all the different Earths into one and then wiping out all the others so they could start over with this clean slate. Yeah. So pre-crisis, just on Earth 2, there are four different versions of what could be the possible history of the underwater nation. <laughs> Love that. <Whoa>. So. <laughs> okay, that's... I'm Literally actually... Literally when I was... Yeah. <laughs> Like, okay, so I'm I'm more familiar with the DC comics from, like, Crisis On. Like, that was kind of, like, right where I really got into DC. Sure. Because um, that's when I was coming up as a comic reader. So, you're, so on the same Earth, you are saying that there are four different versions of Atlantis. Well, there are four different versions of what the history could be. Okay, yeah, that's not confusing <laughs> at all. Okay, sure. Why not? Well, how do you think I felt researching it? <laughs> nope. I, w- I would have just Conf- flipped the table and walked away. Oh, I was confused as fuck. But guys, we got through it. Kind of. We'll get through it. We'll get through it. We're getting through it. <laughs> we are actively. <laughs> <laughs> the reason there were four is because during this point in time on Earth 2, they didn't have like 
just one thing they said. They kind of bounced around on what they decided they wanted to do with it at that yeah. point in time. So, Mike, will you please read the first quote from Aquaman himself? And this was from the original Golden Age version of the character. Okay, yeah, sure. My father, a famous undersea explorer, he turned to his work of solving the ocean's secrets. His greatest discovery was an ancient city in the depths where no other diver had ever penetrated. (laughs) Penetrated. (laughs) My father believed it was the lost kingdom of Atlantis. He made himself a watertight home in one of the palaces and lived there, studying the records and devices of the race's marvelous wisdom. From the books and records, he learned ways of teaching me to live under the ocean, drawing oxygen from the water, and using all of the power of the sea to make me wonderfully strong and swift. By training and a hundred scientific secrets, I became what you see, a human being who lives and thrives underwater. That's so different than like... Than what it's, we have and now. it's so vague too it's like and a hundred scientific reasons it's like yeah you yeah okay because science <laughs> well i mean okay like that was the atomic age when science hadn't gone corporate yet it was it was suddenly capable of delivering all of these wonderful fantasies like if you ever look at that retro futurist art it's so cool it's the floating cities the flying cars mm-hmm. you know the the airport that's like operating actually on the ocean. I have a couple of those books and I love them because I, I love that that era of art and, and I love the dream of tomorrow that suddenly we were saddled with. And it was like, well, you know, I don't know, like science can't do it now, but what if some crazy mad scientist just kind of figured it out? Like, yeah, all right. Yeah. And that was the other thing was we had we had mad science as like an actual real genre back then. Like that was a big thing. And I mean, usually they were the villains that were fighting like Batman and the shadow and Superman, but you know, it was still this kind of fantastical element to it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it is 2022. We were promised flying cars. Where the fuck are they? Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm mad about that. I'm mad about it, but it, you know, honestly, knowing, knowing the world as it is, we wouldn't have been able to get away from having like fucking flying cars that still let off some sort of like <laughs> pollution. <laughs> It'd be like yeah. flying cars with gasoline. <laughs> with lead gas. <laughs> well, what was it? Doc Brown's DeLorean. It was like Mr. Fusion <laughs> or something like that. Oh no. Yeah. It's Baja blast. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Everyone's going to Taco Bell and they've got the little like <laughs> the little <laughs> spouts of Baja Blast you can put into your flying car. Oh no. Ugh. Guess Mountain Dew call us. I, I'm not a scientist. Don't call me. I I don't love that. <laughs> I don't know. I imagine if it like turns your pee neon green or whatever. Like, you know. <sighs> well, you know the Baja Blast is, I don't know, maybe this is a rumor, so I'm going to say maybe speculation, but apparently it causes reproductive harm. Great. <laughs> I mean, if any soda was going to cause reproductive harm, Mountain Dew would be at the top <laughs> the top of the list for me, but okay. The aqua, the aqua teal, like, <laughs> beverage God. from Taco Bell. <laughs> So, okay, like so many of those drinks, it's just like, I don't know, when when the drink actually changes your urine color, I'm just like, nope. <sighs> I'm like, I'm out. Like, I, yeah. I put a lot of terrible things into my body. Sarah does Dude, not it's... understand how I'm still alive, but you know. Okay, after asparagus pea smell is already suspicious enough, and that's a plant. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't trust, <laughs> I don't trust man-made things that do that shit. <laughs> Fair. All right, so sorry. Anyway. Well, well, that's okay. (laughs) Let's move on to number two for Earth 2, which is that around 10,000 years ago, wise men of Atlantis somehow looked into the future and saw that Atlantis was going to sink. So they created like a bubble that everyone could live in and they created like an air system and they could breathe underwater. And like at one point they were visited by Nazis and saved by Batman. So. That was yeah. an exciting one. Okay, so it's like so so they're just like people who just live underwater. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That was kind of the vibe. 
And option three for Earth 2 is that scientists of Atlantis willfully submerged it to prevent it from continuing to be attacked. Okay. Option four for Earth 2 is that Green Lantern saw Atlantis sink in 9638 BCE while he was time traveling. Mm. But I'm not sure in this version what the cause of the sinking was. It was just stated that the queen at the time was Atlantia. Okay. Yeah, so this was kind of like, these were the four different Earth 2 options that came out of this. Okay. So, post-crisis was that 145,000 years ago, there were two mystics, Kalkula, who followed the light, and Magistra, who practiced the dark arts, and they built up Atlantis faster than any other civilizations. They were advanced before anyone else, had the wheel kind of vibe. And they were like, hey, we could definitely be more powerful. Let's get jiggy with it. And from this union, they produced two shithead twin brothers who were destined to fight for power for the duration of their existence. (laughs) They were Garn Danuth, who was taught the dark arts, and Arion, who was taught light magic. And they also have these like 12 astrological crystals, which show up in other places down the line too, but they fight to control them. So what could possibly go wrong, right? Yeah, I think Arion actually had his own comic series too. Like, it was kind of a a sword and sorcery series that they did around the same time. I know I've come across it a couple of times at Brian's and his back issues. I've never read it. (laughs) Well, he shows up in some of the other iterations too. So it's just like, but like different, you know what I mean? And at this point, there was also a jellyfish invasion. (laughs) Why not? Why not, right? But for this one, the main sinking history is that a giant skull-shaped meteor hit Earth 9,600 years ago and caused the Great Deluge, which is sometimes called the, the Great Flood, which okay. was, and that was the catalyst for the sinking of Atlantis. And while most of Atlantis was like whoosh, gone with the tides, right, the city of Poseidonus had managed to construct a bubble to keep their human inhabitants safe. But apparently, the bubble super pissed off the sky goddess Sula, who was like, oh, I see how it is. You just don't want to be connected to the sky anymore with your fancy bubble made your own sky, huh? Well, guess what? You never get to come to the surface again or else. <laughs> so, yeah, they're like safe in the bubble, but they're like stuck in the bubble. So that's kind of a paradox. Okay. Yeah. And like another group of people following the priest Shalako were saved because the priest used magic. I guess, just magic to stop the pressure of the ocean from crushing himself and his followers. And I guess he made a bubble, too. I don't know. There wasn't I mean, it's magic. Much. You know, why not? It's magic. And lastly, the prime Earth version of Atlantis, which is where our comic takes place. And wherein there was a ton of family drama that we won't get into because I just I really don't care. <laughs> but basically, there were magic stones and a magic scepter that caused Atlantis to sink in a widespread after a widespread civil war. And if you want to know about more about the history of any and all of the Atlantises, go check out that wiki fandom article on Atlantis that I mentioned, because it's got that great breakdown. Now, I do want to mention, too, that there are seven kingdoms total in the underwater realms and just going to throw them out there, list them off. Uh, it's the Kingdom of Atlantis, the Kingdom of Brine, Kingdom of the Sea Lights, City of Dagon, Lurkers, the Trench, and Zebel, which is with an X. It's extreme. <laughs> I was trying to resist the urge to make a joke about 90s Extreme with a capital X, but you beat me to it. We have to make the joke. <laughs> oh. For Aquaman, his origin story also has a few different iterations. In the Golden Age, scientist Daddy built the bubble under the ocean and called it Atlantis, like you mentioned earlier when you did that quote. He used science. In the Silver Age, which is when our cartoon is from, the story is that Arthur Curry is the product of a lighthouse keeper father, Tom Mm -hmm. Curry, and an air-breathing outcast Atlantean named Atlanta. He discovers that he has the ability to breathe underwater while he's growing up, among other abilities, like mm-hmm. being able to telepathically control sea life. Does this sound familiar at all? 
at all. Yeah. I mean, well, and the funny thing is that this is like kind of the universally <laughs> accepted origin for Aquaman at this point. Like yes. this is the one that we've all grown up with. Exactly. Exactly. And it's basically a reverse Namor situation. Like it's like, yeah. yeah, he still has the Atlantean mother, the human daddy, but this time he's like growing up on land instead, but he has the ability to breathe underwater. It's just like, okay, I see, I see what you did there. And he's like sort of exiled royalty, but not quite. And Atlanteans, if I remember right, actually all look like him. Um, yes. Or, or yeah. they, they look like, you know regular people as opposed to, people. to blue-skinned folks. Yeah, and and no little winglings on his little ankly danglies. No, but they do get giant seahorses to ride. Jealous. Jealous. Right. I do want a giant seahorse. They were pretty cool. I I always wanted a seahorse whenever I was like going to get goldfish at the aquarium and my parents wouldn't let me get them. It bummed me out. Oh. Yeah, we had those uh, aquatic frogs. Those were Mm. fun. So post-crisis Aquaman is Orin, the product of Queen Atlanta and a wizard named Atlan from Poseidonus. And they just abandon him on a reef, apparently. Hmm. And he's just living his best feral underwater baby life until he's picked up by Tom Curry, who adopts him. And he's still a lighthouse keeper in this version. And Oren is given the name Arthur Curry by his adoptive daddy. That's so weird. So when when did this Aquaman series, like, was this post-crisis? Like, I thought this it was. This was post-crisis. This was just post-crisis, yeah. But, like, but this Aquaman series, like, again, made Atlanta his mom. And, like, and then... Well, Atlanta is his mom in both versions. Right, but then Tom Curry was also his dad in this one, too, where it's like... Mm. Like, you know, a year later after he finds her and rescues her in the water. Like, that's yeah. weird. Okay. Like, again, like, DC get makes things super confusing and whatever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so let's talk about the powers of Aquaman. And let's see if he just happens to share those same powers that Namor does. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> So generally for all iterations of the character, Aquaman has super strength, the ability to breathe underwater and and out of water, and the ability to communicate telepathically with sea creatures and also to to command sea creatures, basically. Yes. I would say that those match. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they do. He just doesn't fly. He doesn't fly and like, Namor, I don't think, I don't remember him really commanding the sea life as much, like mentally commanding them. He just kind of seemed to punch them a lot. <laughs> like, because he got in fights with them. I don't know. Uh, yeah, he's uh, one of his superpowers was that he was supposed to be able to telepathically command. Mm, okay. So, yeah, I know. Weird. I just don't remember it, like, showing up. Yeah. But, no. You know, whatever. Totally. Totally. So as far as partners go, love interests, Aquaman is usually paired with Mera, whom he married in one of the first superhero weddings ever. Hmm. I haven't seen information about other love interests, but I'm sure there are some others that I just have missed. I mean, they, you know, it's a superhero. They always have different There's love interests. There's always interest. something. Yeah, like... exactly. As far as associations, he is part of the Justice League for parts of his comic career. And I didn't see any other groups that he really is associated with. Not like Namor, who was kind of like bouncing around and doing a bunch of other things. But I, I again, I could have missed it in my research. Yeah, they. I think the classic Aquaman was really just kind of hanging out with the Justice League. And, you know, he's one of those characters that I think was kind of a little bit more of a joke. People kind of generally laughed at, about him, like as being a serious character. I. there was one like the last couple of years there was some group that they they paired him with where it was kind of like badass magical artifacts people and i can't remember what they were but it was it was pretty solid like like the the new the new 52 series of aquaman was shockingly good and the problem is that it's written by jeff johns who Mm. was uh outed by ray fisher after justice league filmed as being pretty bad <laughs> and so mm, you know yeah. i if you want you can check it out on hoopla or from your library 
that that would be my recommendation. Don't actually buy it and give Jeff Johns any residuals. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk foes now, of which he has quite a few. And I'm only going to list a, a chunk of them because he it's a it's a lengthy list. <laughs> so his main arch villains are Ocean Master and Black Manta. While some of his other recurring foes include Fisherman, King Shark, Sharibdis, who apparently cut off his hands and fed them to piranhas, which is oh, fucking yeah. ruthless. That, that was like in the and 90s. That's why he that has was... the harpoon hand. Yeah, and they eventually like replace it with like magic water or something and it becomes yeah. like, you know. Yeah, that was that was a 90s extreme storyline where they were trying to make it real gritty and I think they did it much better in the Justice League Unlimited cartoon where he was he was chained to a rock and he had to save his son so he cut off his hand. Yeah. Which I think that worked way better, but you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. There was also Wacky Man. Creature King, <laughs> Liquidator, Sea Thief, The Thirst, Rhombus, and Giant Jellyfish. As you can tell, I picked out the most ridiculous sounding ones. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, if I didn't know all the research you'd done, I'd be like, you're making this shit up. Like, come on. <laughs> I wish I were making this up. I wish I were this creative. <laughs> Well, let's talk about this four-part miniseries of Aquaman from 1985 that we read for the episode. Do you want to talk a bit about the comic and the overall plot and what you thought about it? Yeah, sure. This, it's like a four-issue miniseries and it feels like a bit of a, you know, a soft reboot of the character. Like we get an introduction to how Atlantis wound up sinking beneath the waves due to this conflict over magic crystals. And then the story really kicks off with an attack on New Venice, the coastal town that Aquaman apparently is based out of. And then he and Mara, basically they show up and then the, the town is attacked or the town is attacked right before they show up. And they, they wind up starting a rescue attempt, but then Aquaman's half-brother Orm, aka Ocean Master, uh, reveals himself as being the one responsible for the attack and basically enrages Aquaman into getting distracted and fighting him and Mara keeps begging Arthur to leave his brother alone and just you know actually save people but he's so enraged that he won't focus on what's more important so he winds up actually getting the stuffing beat out of him by Orm which is apparently like totally not expected because I guess Orm was like a normal person before this and then Mara gives him you know a pretty righteous tongue lashing about how his priorities are fucked and she basically kicks him to the curb and then, while Aquaman is trying to figure out how his human half-brother is suddenly powerful enough to wipe the court with him, it turns out that, I guess, like, Orm has managed to get a hold of some of the mystic gems that sank Atlantis. And then there's this other plot about Volko, the king of Atlantis. He begs Aquaman to help him recover the royal seal so he can continue to rule and prevent a war with the surface world. But Aquaman is, like, persona non grata because... I don't like was it the citizens wanted to be like isolationist and they they now hate anything associated with the surface world or was there some reason that they were specifically pissed at Aquaman I can't remember because they had like an Aquaman in effigy that they were like you know <laughs> yeah waving around on the that streets was... outside the palace yeah no I I think the vibe was that they were anti anybody that associated with the surface because the surface had been so damaging to them that, yeah, they were trying to be isolationist. So I think that you, you are hitting it. So since he's trying to straddle both worlds, they're like, no, you, you picked a side when you decided you wanted to do that one even a little bit. Yeah. So he, he agrees to go on this mission, but he gets a new costume basically because he has to go in disguise and his his original outfit was pretty recognizable so that's why we get that kind of like varying shades of blue kind of camouflage outfit and it's one of those things where it's like well people recognize the costume rather than the person and you know it's fine and then he travels to another underwater city called Tirnanog and teams up with the magical ruler Nuwata Silverhand to help him on his quest and like this is all naming stuff and, and fantasy elements that they're pulling straight out of Irish mythology and then we get a retelling of his and Orm's 
origins, and it turns out Orms was really, really turned to villainy because he was driven by the trauma of a neglectful dad who was focusing on his golden child, who happened to be, you know, the half-brother. And it's basically revealed that Orm's mom was a regular human who Aquaman's dad married in an effort to kind of fill the gap left behind by his first wife, uh, Atlanta. And <laughs> it's kind of justifiable. Like, or not justifiable, it's pretty understandable. There's this whole story arc about how Aquaman's rage is actually fueling the magic that Orm is using. And the way that Arthur finally defeats him is to accept his brother and acknowledge you know, the good and the bad in his past, and then to let go of the anger and focus on the love he has for his sibling. And it's, you know, it's pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so too. So be honest. How do you think this comic compared to the 12-issue run of Namor that we talked about in part one? Oh, it's it's not even a comparison. Like, <laughs> this series is so much better. Like, the art is just, it's incredible. It's really dynamic. You know, and the story manages to be pretty interesting because it tells it tells something new for us while also retelling this kind of like, you know, refreshed origin a bit. But it just it rips along across four issues. And I, I feel like Aquaman is honestly a much more developed character. Yes, he's definitely flawed because, you know, he's he's got those rage issues that his brother is able to trigger. But, you know, it's also fueled by grief in certain ways. And, you know, when he goes on a journey as an individual, I don't know, I, I like how it's a new story that introduces us to Aquaman's original narrative without bogging us down in a bunch of boring ex exposition. Yeah. Which I feel like Namor was, it was exposition first. It was telling us an old story without making it really relevant in a new way. That's how I felt about it, too. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head when you talk about the exposition, because in Aquaman, it was they were still telling the story, but it was interesting from page one. Yeah. Yeah. And they accomplished that without overdoing it. I feel like they were able to wrap it into the action instead of assuming the reader was stupid and needing to like handhold us through it. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I I did like the updated costume that he started sporting so as not to be recognized. I like that they updated it for the times because I always like to see what they do with current costume updates for classic heroes. Yeah. <laughs> because they're usually really telling of the times. Like, in this example, he's super McFucking 80s. <laughs> <laughs> like, he almost has a blonde mullet. Like, it's very mullet-like. Yeah, I mean, it's no Superman mullet, but it's close. No, but it's very close. And he's like, his rad watery stripes on his bodysuit? Like, okay, very 80s. <laughs> yeah, they're actually, I think there there were some, some stills or promotional images that came out where it's like one of Jason Momoa's costumes for the new Aquaman movie is going to like have elements of this in it. That's sexy. That's <laughs> I say that out loud? <laughs> I mean... Aquaman was not a good movie, but it was no. highly enjoyable. Like, it was dumb, and it was fun. And, you know, if they didn't have Jason Momoa playing the character, I don't think I would have watched it. But they did, and he oh, is no. eminently likable. Absolutely. That, the it, He's the reason to watch it. He's also really the only reason to watch Justice League in any form. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with that. I'm so tired of the Justice League. I'm so tired. I've muted every version of the Snyder Cut and Zack Snyder's Justice League and a million other things on Twitter because I just don't care. I'm so tired of it. Thank you. Thank you for doing that because yikes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, while we are still talking about the comics, there was a crossover between Namor and Aquaman in 1996 when DC and Marvel did a crossover series. Okay, so that would have been right around the time that they did their Amalgam universe, which makes sense. That, they were, they were yep. still playing nice with each other then. Like they, they also were, did like yep. they did Superman and Green Lantern, and I think they also did Green Lantern and Silver Surfer. They they did they did a bunch of kind of like crossover series back then, which was really they fun. They did. 
Yeah, they did. Which, yeah, and, and that was really cool. That was really neat. Yeah. So, yeah, they did the Flash versus Quicksilver. Yeah. They fought. I think they had Thor go up against Storm at oh. one point. Um, they had the Ben Riley version of Spider-Man. He ended up working at the Daily Planet with Clark Kent. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Like, yeah, that whole amalgam crossover was a blast. And we should probably talk about it at some point with Make Mine Amalgam. Yeah. From Twitter, because he's, he's become a, a friend of ours through Twitter, same as Dear Watchers. Mm-hmm. He's tight with them. But yeah, Amalgam was a really interesting thing that happened where it was just kind of a, a fun mashup of DC and Marvel. And I have to go yeah. back and read that. I've still got the core series somewhere. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So during their mashup, Aquaman ended up getting the better of Namor, mainly because Namor got salty that Aquaman is more loose and jokey and didn't feel he was respecting the duel. <laughs> and then Aquaman hit him with a whale. Yeah, that, <laughs> that sounds, that's perfect. I love it. Love it. <laughs> And because Aquaman was victorious in this situation, that was the actual catalyst for the foundation of the Amalgam League that they had, that universe, which was a combination of the, you know, again, the Marvel and the DC superheroes. So (laughs) I know the hitting with a whale was such a touch. I love it. (laughs) And also, fun fact, there is another way that the comics from these two companies very briefly coincided because in 1971 one of the writers of aquaman steve skeets ended up writing a cliffhanger for aquaman number 56 that ends in an explosion in space then very shortly after he starts writing for marvel and in namor number 72 it actually begins with an explosion in space and the debris from that turns into the monster that is the villain for that issue that's fantastic. I mean, it was just chef's kiss. Mm. So, <laughs> so let's move on to how Aquaman fared outside of the comic book realm. Let's let's see if how much more popular he was. If you know, if he was, we'll see. I guess <laughs> I'm willing to Who bet knows? that he's a bit more popular than Namor. <laughs> ding ding ding! Aquaman has. A broader outreach in the media than Namor by far. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So beyond the extensive amount of Aquaman comics that also far outnumber those of Namor the Submariner, the outreach in the media is similarly impressive in comparison. There was an Aquaman animated series from 1967 to 68 that Mike and I checked out for this episode. We'll talk about in a minute. He also appeared in the animated Super Friends show that aired through 1973. He appeared as a character in CW Smallville from 2001. Yeah, they tried to do a spinoff from that. Like, oh, did they see? Yeah. Um, I don't know if you can still get it, but you used to be able to buy the pilot for that show Ooh. on like the iTunes TV show store. Um, I may have that still somewhere like in my, my hard drive. Like it's oh, it's not good. It, they only got the pilot oh, and that well. was it. But, you know, no wonder. No wonder. <laughs> there was also a made for TV movie in 2006 called Aquaman. And I haven't seen it, so I'm not sure if I can recommend it out, but it exists. That might be the pilot they, that they marketed. Oh, as is the, it? Yeah, that might be it. I don't know. OK, OK. And after that point, our guy, Jason Momoa, show up, which again, Jason, please, my dude, hit us up. Hit us up. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> I would demand that he basically come on the podcast and just be shirtless the entire time. Be like, I don't care. It's it's a obviously. gift for me. <laughs> well, here's the thing is that obviously that would be the one time we would need to be hosting in person. <laughs> it's a requirement. But also the requirement is no shirt. This is a no shirt party. I mean, just he, for uh, him, though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's interesting because, like, every time I see interviews with him, he seems like such a lovely, thoughtful dude. Um, yes. And I don't know. I, I hope that's true. But, like. See, that's why I think he'd be amenable to coming on. Right, Jason? Because right? you're not a monster. You'd love to be on our show. <laughs> <laughs> As opposed to us, where we're fucking goblins. <laughs> we <laughs> 
<laughs> you cackle like a goddamn goblin. You do. Don't I you do even try to deny like it. I do cackle like a goblin. I do, especially when I'm being mischievous. Well, I half, can, I... half the time I like have that evil chuckle that just kind of <laughs> sounds like something that someone would do as they're, you know, plotting nefarious deeds. <laughs> Very true. So, again, wow, we got distracted talking about Jason Momoa. I don't know mm. why that could be. Mm-mm. But he played Arthur Curry as Aquaman in Justice League, which, again, we do not want to talk about any further. But that came out in 2017. And in 2018, Momoa was back at it in Aquaman the movie, which earned double that of Justice League BT dubs (laughs) that had come out the year prior, (laughs) bringing in 1.1 billion in global earnings. You know, it's almost like it was a better movie and more fun to watch. I mean, even, you know what, the fact that it was solely around Jason Momoa's washboard abs. Yeah. And we didn't have to deal with the fluff of the rest of the Justice League. Come on, that's that's what was wrong with the Justice League, was that we had to deal with the fluff of the rest of the Justice League. (laughs) There were were many things wrong with the Justice League movies, but whatever. I mean, Henry, yes, you can still come on the podcast if you want to. Please don't get sad. (laughs) Zach, you're not invited. (laughs) From what I understand, (laughs) from what I understand, Zack Snyder is a lovely human being. I just don't actually like his movies very much. (laughs) No, but here's the thing. We can't have him on because we're just going to want to trash his movies the whole time. And that's not going to be fun for anyone. It'll be fun for us, maybe, actually. (laughs) But he will not have a good time. It's funny because, like. There was something I was seeing about comparing him with Joss Whedon, and it was like, oh, like one of them makes things that people like, but he's actually like a terrible person. Then the other person makes movies that a lot of people don't like, but he's apparently really nice. And I'm like, God damn it. You fucking hate to see it. Yeah. God, I watched this. I watched something, and maybe you sent it to me. So maybe I'm just telling you something you already know, but it was something like a comedian was doing some stand up, and they were like talking to the person in the front row, and they were like, what's your name? And the guy looked really annoyed and he's like, Zach. <laughs> and he was really annoyed because it was Zack Snyder and he's not used to having to say oh, who he really is. Funny. No, I didn't see that. That's really funny. <laughs> when the guy figures out, he's like, oh, oh. oh. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, Let's go back to the Silver Age here as we talk about these cartoons. Mike, do you want to describe these cartoons from the 60s that we watched? And then what did you think of them? Oh, yeah. Um, okay, this is much more of a superhero cartoon than the Submariner series was. It's basically weird one-off adventures of Aquaman as he travels the 7C alongside Aqualad and... Sometimes Mira, and I guess they've got like a pet walrus that just hangs out with them. Um, you know, and they ride around on giant seahorses and fight against various underwater villains. Mira is usually more of a damsel in distress and comic relief. And the first episode starts out with the two of them going up against Black Mana and his crew of like Manta men, who they're kind of this unholy nightmare mashup of manta rays and people, but they actually look very silly. And that's the general vibe of the show. It's some kid-friendly action with passable animation, you know, and only a mild amount of unintentional misogyny. But it's it's rather charming. And, and it's 15-minute episodes, and there's like a backup segment starring members of the Justice League. And this is also the show that like launched a thousand memes. Like, you know, we have gifts of Aquaman riding flying fish like a chariot above the waves or... swinging a lasso while he's riding a manta ray or him sending out his thought rings for whatever reason it's it's short and it's silly and it's charming and it generally this is kind of damning it with faint praise but you know it's it's fine and it's inoffensive and it's it's nothing amazing but it's it's fun in its own way i definitely didn't sit there and get up and walk away from it like i did the namor (laughs) episodes no 
No, exactly. It wasn't that it didn't drive you away with its Shakespearean nonsense. Namor was just ridiculous. Well, that, that the, whole cartoon. The other thing about those Namor cartoons, though, is that like those were basically just like motion comics. They were very static images that they just sort of occasionally yeah. animated when they couldn't get around it. And like this, exactly. in turn, is a full on animated series. Well, they were done by the same guy who recreated like the Hanna-Barbera, like Scooby-Doo and like Yogi. Yeah, I think it was Funimation so, or something like that. Yeah, it was It was one of those big name animation houses. Yeah, of yeah. Of the era. So it has that look of that, that very Hanna-Barbera style of person and then the animals all have. And, and I, will, I will ask you not to disrespect Tusky the Walrus. I'm sorry. That is Aqualad's pet walrus. Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, and I mean, like, that was also very common. It was, like, during that era, cartoons had, like, they always had that weird comic sidekick character. Like, you had Scooby-Doo. Yeah. You had the Fantastic Four cartoon. They had Herbie the Robot, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Let's talk about Aquaman merch. And, and... As far as merch goes, there is le- legitimately too much merchandise for this character for me to speak about anything in great detail. He's what I would consider a pretty widely popular character. He's got action figures, collectibles, clothing items, other types of toys. I- I'm sure I'm accurate in stating that it is probably far easier to find a good variety of Aquaman merch as compared to Namor. Hands down. Yeah, I mean, well, he also has a very identifiable logo even before the movies came out. Like, he obviously wasn't as big as, like, Wonder Woman or Batman or Superman, but he was very identifiable. And, you know, like, Namor, on the other hand, like, I think he had, like, a a seashell belt or something like that. Aquaman always has that A on his belt buckle, Mm -hmm. and it's a legit brand image that sticks out. Yeah. Well, and I've, I've read enough articles of people's opinions. The general opinion is that... Yes, DC copied this character, and they kind of had the habit, I guess, of copying characters from what I've read. Well, I mean, throughout certain time frames, I and mean, I don't know if that's that was comic kind books of a in shared... general. There's always pastiche yeah. characters, and sometimes the pastiches are better than the original. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was interesting about that. So yeah, so that's merch. But that is really it for Aquaman, Mike. Do you have any last thoughts on him or how he and Namor compare? Yeah, Team Aquaman all the way. Like, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, I didn't even need to think about that. Like, Aquaman is way better. I feel like Namor is a character that they try to do too much with, and they can't figure out what kind of story they want to tell with him. And he's basically, you know, he's, for lack of a better expression, he's drowning under the weight of that. They spend so much time establishing how he's so important and i think they actually <laughs> they they spend so much time doing that that they can't be bothered to make him interesting and aquaman meanwhile he was very clearly meant to be a fun character first and then an important one to that world second and also namor just always comes across as a dick like yeah mega that's the thing about like these superheroes is that at their core they are they're supposed to be good and Namor is never concerned about being good. I don't even know what Namor is concerned about to be honest. I guess he's like more concerned with like being a just ruler, but I'm not even sure that's right. I think he's just more more concerned with reminding everybody that he is very important. <laughs> I know some guys like that. oh well let's move on to our brain wrinkles what do you think yeah i'm down with that so we've reached our brain wrinkles which is that one thing comics or comics adjacent that's been swishing around in our soggy brains since our last audio encounter mike what is it for you this episode so Rob and Guido from Dear Watchers clued me in when I was talking about one of our upcoming episodes to a book that just hit the market called The Overstreet Comic Book Price Guide to Lost Universes. If you haven't heard of Overstreet, Overstreet is the publishing group that puts out annual price guides for comic books, and they just put out this book that's focused on quote unquote dead universes. 
which are basically they're the imprints and publishers that aren't around anymore. So it's one part price guide and then it's one part historical volume explaining the story behind those imprints. And there's like a lot of cool stuff in it, like breakdowns on Valiant comics, which we've talked about extensively in our Death Mate episode. And then Defiant, which was the next publisher that Jim Shooter wound up starting after he was ousted from there. I don't really care too much about the pricing, but the extra info is all really interesting. And at the same time, it kind of bums me out because there's this whole intro from the publisher talking about how lost universes are, quote, ripe for a comeback in terms of like collectability. And so now I'm dreading the idea of having a bunch of speculators snapping up a bunch of the stuff that I buy now because it was stuff that I wanted as a kid, but I couldn't afford it. And they're going to do it because it, it might appear in the MCU or it might get adapted into a movie or TV show and it's going to become that much more expensive and harder to find. Oh, that's so cool. And I love them. As always, Rob and Guido, best friends of the podcast. Oh, they're so good. Like, I feel like we can say that, right? Like, they're our podcast BFFs, right? Like, we have yeah. many good friends, but they're they're like the ones that we're, we're besties with right now. Yeah. <laughs> like I say right now. <laughs> Look, my love is fickle. <laughs> well, my brain wrinkle this week is that I love me some TikTok. You know, you know, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. You're the and reason that I'm, I'm on TikTok. <laughs> You're welcome. I know. Thank you for liking all my videos. <laughs> um, yes, it's uh, Jessica Witha on TikTok. If you'd like to follow me. Yeah, I basically joined because you and Sarah both joined, so I just like all of your videos. <laughs> well, Chanel from Nerd in Texas podcast is my friend on TikTok, and she recently posted a video about this drama in Fortnite where, you know, it's March, it's Women's History Month, and so Fortnite made the moon a heart. Oh, Seems pretty... Seems right. It's just it's just nice. You know, it's just something nice. You know, they did something. They've done things for Black History Month. They did a couple of things for Black History Month. And so they just kind of they do things like that for the different months. Well, as you can imagine, the not all men came out oh, and Christ. the but why feminism men came out and the but why do they get their own thing? And when are we going to have a celebration of men? We already have one. It's every other goddamn day. It's every like, day. Like, come on, dudes. Like, yeah, it's every day. It's Jesus. every day. You get like, everything else. Like I've, like I've literally told a man to his face. Let us have this. You have everything else. Take everything else. I want this one thing. <laughs> oh man! Wow. Like, I mean, I'm not surprised, but yeah. Yeah, cue a lot of male crocodile tears. It was, apparently it was a lot of just ridiculous comments of men being, and then, and then men, men being like, well, you didn't do anything for Black History Month and people being like, no, we, they did two different things. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. I hope they all get banned. Whatever. They won't. They won't, though. And that's the issue is that even like on TikTok, all the accounts that are getting banned are all like, you know, all the freaking white supremacists go on there and report all the, you know, black and people of color and yeah. like indigenous profiles and videos. And those are the ones that get flagged and taken down and they get banned. And it's like, well, <laughs> the freaking racists are doing it. They're basically gaming the algorithm. And they do it on the videos about racism. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, but the algorithm isn't helping because a lot of the time you can't repost things about racism when people are like, this happened to me. And it's like, you don't have the option to repost it suddenly. And it's like, well, that's suspicious. Mm. So, yeah, that's just the patriarchy. Just wanted to remind everybody that we live within the patriarchy. In case you hadn't been reminded fall today. Yeah, I mean, Jesus. Uh, yeah, so mine was an upper. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I think I think both of ours were a little bit of downers in different ways. So. Yeah, there's my goblin laugh. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Jason Momoa, I know we're goblins, but please, 
please come on our podcast. We we will bump any other guest for you. I will take a day off of work. Like I will drop. I literally it. will call in sick. Yeah, like, <laughs> I don't have any sick time, but I'll call in sick. I don't know how I'm going to work it. But I'll figure it out. Honestly, I would just tell my boss. He'd be like, "I'm sorry, I got to interview Jason Momoa," and he'd be like, "Yeah, go do that. That sounds way more fun than this. Go do that." I work for the government. They don't love that. <laughs> I work in the private sector. It's great. <laughs> it's well, oh. this one this one is great. I've had other private sector jobs that suck, but yeah. I was gonna say that's that that all depends. <laughs> uh, well, I'll tell you what. We'll see you in two weeks, but until then, folks, we will see you in the stacks. Thanks for listening to Tencent Takes. Accessibility is important to us. So text transcriptions of each of our published episodes can be found on our website. This episode was hosted by Jessica Frazier and Mike Thompson. Written by Jessica Frazier and edited by Mike Thompson. Our intro theme was written and performed by Jared Emerson Johnson of Bay Area Sound. Our credits and transition music is Pursuit of Life by Evan McDonald and was purchased with a standard license from Premium Beat. Our banner graphics were designed by Sarah Frank at www.lookmomdraws.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, ask us questions, or tell us about how we got something wrong, please head over to tencenttakes.com or shoot an email to tencenttakes at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter. The official podcast account is tencenttakes, all one word. Jessica is Jessica Witha, and Mike is Van Sau, V-A-N-S-A-U. If you'd like to support us, be sure to download, rate, and review wherever you listen. Except for Spotify, because we are not there. <laughs> Stay safe out there. And support your local comic shop. Dun-da-da-dun! dun da dun